Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 39 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone is doing well out there. I'm having a bit of a rough week this week, just having trouble finding motivation. Uh, It's frankly a wonder that this episode is going up at all, but I feel obligated to getting it out there. I feel like I need to keep that commitment, keep that regular part of my schedule when everything else is still busy falling apart and being really weird. But just I've got to catch back up on doing some recordings so that I have future episodes and that's a little discouraging and I don't know, just in a weird place this week. But I hope everybody else is doing well out there. This isn't about me. This is about movies, and we're going to talk movies today. Um, First up, last week we looked at Blood Simple, which was the very first Coen Brothers movie. And if you noticed, if you listened to the episode, uh, Chris mentioned that Miller's Crossing was his favorite Coen Brothers movie as we were doing the pop quiz at the end. I found that interesting that he chose to do Blood Simple, even though Miller's Crossing is his favorite Coen Brothers movie. So last week's Friday Inquiry... I asked, what's your favorite Coen Brothers movie? And as always, got some responses on Twitter, where we can be found at Have Not Seen This. Chris Talent chimed in with, oh, brother, where art thou? No question. And Thomas Mariani said, Raising Arizona, Top Deer, Cage, Hunter, Goodman, and Forsyth. Not sure if any other film can say that. Over on Facebook, where we're Have Not Seen This podcast, got a couple other answers. Uh, Luis Ramirez said, Raising Arizona. Chad Schreiner said Big Lebowski, and Laura Uber said Raising Arizona, with Fargo a close second. So lots of Raising Arizona love out there, which frankly surprised me, because I really expected Fargo and Big Lebowski to kind of be the big answers, and I, I did get a Big Lebowski and a Fargo reference there, but for the most part, Raising Arizona. And for some reason, I don't even associate Oh Brother, Where Art Thou with the Coen Brothers, but that's Chris's pick, and I, I can't contest that at all. That's probably the Coen Brothers movie I quote the most. I just don't always remember that it's a Coen Brothers movie. So there you go. Uh, as always, on Fridays, I do ask a question related to that week's movie, although I probably, if I was smart, would adjust it to the coming week's movie so that it fit in the episode a little bit better. But I, I'm not on top of things, as we've already established this week. So you can check us out on social media, have not seen this on Twitter, have not seen this podcast on Facebook. This week, we're looking at our very first Disney animated film, almost 40 episodes before we got there, although I guess they don't necessarily always fit the nature of this show, since it's movies you're surprised when people have not seen, and we just take it for granted that people have seen the Disney canon. But... That's not always true, and this week we do take a look at one of their underappreciated gems, The Emperor's New Groove from 2000. The guest this week is Scotty Moore, who has a hell of a story of his own. He is a fellow podcaster, uh, but there's a specific reason why he's on this show, and I'll let him explain that here in just a minute as we get into the intro of the episode. But I, I do highly recommend listening to why he's on the show and seeing if maybe you can't help him out. For now, here we go with 2000's The Emperor's New Groove with Scotty Moore. All right, so I I always save uh, promotions, plugging, that kind of thing for the end. But I do want to start with 
why you're here because you're on kind of this epic quest. Uh, you want to talk about that? Oh yeah. Um, I'm trying to set the world record for the most podcast appearances in a single year. And that's counting what I do. So like all of my different shows, which I think there's like seven at this point and guest appearances. I'm, I'm aiming for 500, but I, I wouldn't be mad if I went over that. <laughs> now, where does that number come from? Because I, I heard you uh, put that out there, I guess, on Twitter when I was first introduced to you. Uh, where do you pull 500 from? Uh, completely arbitrary number. Uh, it was because <laughs> it, it's setting a record. It's not an actual existing record. So for me, I was like, well, if someone does a daily podcast, they can already top me because they're going to have 365 so let's add another 100, 465. Uh, that's a little bit too lame. Let's just round up to 500. So that's how I got that. That's I, I find that such an admirable goal. Um, I don't know how you have any life outside of podcasting because I do one weekly show, one show that's now kind of every other week, and then the occasional guest spot, and I feel strapped for time. <laughs> Oh yeah, it, it's it's a rough one. It, it's a, it's a rough go. Uh, luckily, it is all my only gig. Like I don't have to go to a day job or anything like that, so I can do this whenever I want. But yeah, it's it's a bit like I I think last week I had a guest spot every single day, and for me, it's not bad. It's just like the conceptual whiplash from having to do a show about like improv comedy one day then have to go talk about like teenage mutant ninja turtles and then have to go talk about like the black lives matter movement like it's just like having to jump between all of these different concepts is the roughest part for me <laughs> i bet i bet and of course i'm sure the the current state of the world isn't helping with that because suddenly everybody wants to talk about something that's a little more topical and and, and not to say that it's not important i was going to say and important uh but that certainly changes the scope of certain shows i'm betting oh yeah like there are some where it's they do want to talk about like what's happening and that kind of excites me because that means I don't have to wait for the episode to come out because I've got like episodes I recorded back in March that still haven't come out yet. I'm like, how many did you guys have in the can before me? What happened? Yeah, I've, I got into a really bad I had like a huge amount of episodes recorded back in uh, like April. I, I was like six or eight ahead. And then suddenly I just stopped recording and I've almost reached the end of that bank of episodes. So this one will be coming out relatively soon because I've got to build my my bank back up. <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, the majority of what we do is very like almost one of my friends said it was like Saturday Night Live. Like we just figure out what we want to do like Tuesday, then record Thursday and get it out in a week. Like we are very fast turnaround. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, this is a movie podcast to help you orient yourself. So just kind of what kind of movies, what kind of a movie person are you? What do you like? I'm mostly a comedy guy, like a com it, comedy. And then if it's just buck wild weird, that's my favorite genre of movie, especially my favorite type of movie is a movie that on paper looks like it should be absolutely terrible and turns out amazing. Like movies like Pacific Rim or like Kingsman where like on paper and you describe it, you do sound like an insane person a little bit, 
but it's such a good movie. Like those are my favorite kinds, the kind of movies where people take real chances. Yeah, Pacific Rim and Kingsman, both movies I absolutely love, and I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, on paper, they do sound a little crazy. Pacific Rim at least had, you know, the director going for it, that it that was a big name, but Kingsman is just crazy, and I, oh, I can't yeah. help but love it. And, it, and I've I've learned with that movie that you hit basically the church scene, and at that point, you either are fully invested and you are just completely in on that movie, or you hate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's one of those that time goes by fast with that movie. There are some that are <laughs> real slogs, but Kingsman, I can just start it and be like, "Oh, it's two hours later. What happened?" Yeah, and you originally uh, when when we first started talking, you wanted to do Hot Rod, which we've we've already done an episode on, and oh, I was so like, good. "Okay, well, that really sets kind of where your movie interests are, I guess, because that 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 immediately then led to your second pick, which is what we're doing today." And I started thinking about how similar they are in in kind of that nature you talked about about just being crazy. Uh, you know, they're comedies, but they're absolutely also just weird and out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like, like I said, last week I did a show on, we talked about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, which is still to this day, one of my favorite films because of how absolutely insane it is. That's like, the just, one with Vanilla Ice, right? That's the one where the Teenage <laughs> Mutant Ninja Turtles are fighting a giant fox and a giant snapping turtle and this epic brawl somehow ends up at a vanilla ice concert and no one leaves <laughs> like this seems appropriate and then vanilla ice is like okay well let's just freestyle an entire rap and dance about this right right <laughs> All right, so the concept of the show is have not seen this. We talk about movies we're surprised when we find out people have not seen. What are your have not seen this movies? What are movies that people find out you haven't seen and give you a hard time about? Um, like the cliche ones like Godfather and stuff like that. Like we, we actually do. Um, it's I'm probably going to be a reoccurring thing that we do, but one of my shows is improv comedy. So we come in, we describe an idea for a movie, and then we improv the whole movie. So we go through the whole plot. We we're doing a series about basically movies we haven't seen and improving the plot. The last one we did was uh, Citizen Kane, and oh my, <laughs> we I don't think the movie involves snowboarders and wine sommeliers and Emperor Palpatine, but we made it work. So, th mm -hmm. but yeah, there's like a lot, like especially in the horror genre. I'm not a uh -huh. horror boy, so like people are like, oh, you haven't seen like Scream or The Ring, or The Grudge, and I'm like, no. If you talk to me about horror, I can talk to you about The Shining and Cabin in the Woods, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad sample selection, but yeah, that's not incredibly diverse, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like well, cool. horror, Star Trek, like all, all kinds of stuff like that. You haven't seen Star Trek? None of them, no. And not even the new ones? My best friend and co-host is a huge Star Trek fan, and it makes him mad to no end. Oh, God. Okay, so I have to ask about one other franchise, since you've mentioned those. How about Harry Potter? Um, Until I married my wife, I had not seen Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 
the, I, I guess that one would be, and I still haven't seen the last ones. The only reason I watched Harry Potter was uh, there was a show I used to do called Fun Fiction, and we would talk about a movie or something and then write a fan fiction about it. And so I was like, well, we can't not do Harry Potter. So I, that's what forced me to end up watching it. God, those films are bad. <laughs> <laughs> they're 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 not. Yeah, I'll I'll leave that one alone. I have some listeners who absolutely love the Harry Potter franchise, and some who've not seen it. That's why I had to ask about that. So, well, I came in not expecting because I'm I'm a Slytherin. I'm Slytherin house. I didn't come in expecting such flagrant racism against my people but like through every fu- there's not a single good one of us like at any point she tries to give some redemption but outside of that nothing for the slytherins that's because you haven't watched the last ones yet there there's a little bit in there for you no no spoilers though <laughs> well yeah i expected like okay maybe around like halfway draco will start being a good guy no it's not until like the end of the sixth movie that you see a little bit of draco being good but uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not that i hate them like because I, I really loved uh chamber of secrets i liked that one a lot um oh god what was the other one i describe it as harry potter space jam because there's so many animals involved in it uh, i think that one's three the one with sirius Okay, that yeah, that would make sense because several of them can shape change. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, don't I heard you say god, don't bring up Goblet of Fire. It's my least favorite one. <laughs> All right, well, let's get on the movie we're actually talking about today. I'm 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 not sorry I opened that can of worms. I had to ask, but uh <laughs> we're here today to talk about The Emperor's New Groove from 2000. This is our first Disney flick that we're talking about on this show. Uh, directed by Mark Dindle, written by Chris Williams, Mark Dindle, David Reynolds, Stephen Anderson, Don Hall, John Norton, Roger Ayers, Matthew Jacobs, Doug Frankel, Mark Kennedy, and Mark Walton. Lots of writers there. And then starring the voices of David Spade, John Goodman, Eartha Kitt, Patrick Warburton, and Wendy Malick. This holiday season, boom, baby! The Emperor has been turned into a llama. <laughs> a llama? Where? Yeah, weird. Pull the lever. Pull the lever! Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We have to change him back. Hi there. Walt Disney Pictures presents... A whole new breed of comedy. Ha! The Emperor's New Groove. Rated G. In theaters December 15th. How do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you sell them on wanting to see this movie? I think I would just get furious. Like, I don't think <laughs> I would have a go point. They'd be like, I haven't seen it. And I'd be like, we're doing it. Like, we're doing it right now. We're watching this movie. You have no absolute choice in it. Because it's just so... Because it, it it does still have a lot of the good Disney tropes. But I feel like it is like the ultimate millennial Disney film. Because it does like wink and nod at the camera a lot. Okay. That's uh, that's an interesting take on it. Yeah, I can't disagree with that at all. I, I had not seen this movie until a couple of years ago. I'm a huge Disney fan. I should I should say that. Like, I'm a huge Disney fan. I'm I, I used to make the joke about, you know, being the the single middle aged or not middle aged at the time, but single 20s 30s guy going to the movie theater without a kid to see a disney animated film and that you know you try to do that and not be creepy because 
that does come across as creepy. So it was a good thing when I had a son because then I could at least have a, a an excuse to go to the movie. Um, oh, yeah. but, I had, but I had missed this one until a couple of years ago. So this one, I, I don't find it hard to believe that there's quite a few people out there who haven't seen this one. Oh, by, by the way, you're talking about being the creepy 20 year old person going to see a Disney movie alone. The best one of those I have is me slightly drunk off Long Island iced teas going to see Moana. <laughs> and there's like... And it was late into the film's release, so there's no one. It's like me and then like two other people in front of me, and I am sobbing openly during this movie. Meanwhile, there are kids, kids in front of me, like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "You don't understand." <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you were asked to leave the theater. <laughs> yes, but uh, yeah, this film comes from. I get a lot of people call it like Disney's dark age because there was this and then they started getting into like Chicken Little and Treasure Planet, which it's not that they're bad films. It's just they didn't do anything major, like nothing like a, a Frozen or a Moana. Nothing like huge was coming out during this time. So people were kind of forgetting about Disney at this period. Well, I think the the context to throw that in there is that they had kind of what people considered like this renaissance of Disney films where you had Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and that culminated in The Lion King, which was the biggest grossing Disney movie to point. And then suddenly they go on this downward trend. They have Pocahontas, they have Tarzan, they have Hunchback of Notre Dame, and then they have The Emperor's New Groove. Hey, 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 don't you dare diss my boy Herc. Don't you dare <laughs> ignore Hercules right now. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to talk Hercules because this movie has a very Hercules vibe to it in a lot of different places. But yeah. so this, I don't know about Dark Age, but it was definitely a downslide from the, the, the real high that they were riding with Aladdin and The Lion King and that kind of stuff. These films just weren't going over as well. Now, personally, I love Tarzan. Like, I'm a big oh, Tarzan yeah. fan. Not a big Pocahontas fan, but Tarzan, Hercules, some of those that are considered part of that downward slope are some of my favorites. So, uh, I mean, yeah, because Mulan was during that as well. Mulan. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I, I genuinely think it probably had something to do with the advent of like 3D technology. So, like, you had the Toy Stories and the Bugs Lives and Incredibles, like, all of those coming out. And the more those saturated the market, the less people wanted to go see a traditional 2D animated film. Because I don't think, I think this was their last big 2D film until maybe Princess and the Frog, I would yeah. think. Uh, well, I mean, they had a couple more, like the next year Atlantis would come out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely towards the end. Uh, it, it's the last one they had in a holiday release until Princess and the Frog for one. And it's yeah. it's the last animated film that came out before the Academy opened up the uh, animated film category. Oh, really? Yeah. That explains so, why this doesn't have an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> so out of all of the movies out there. Because again, you and I were introduced because you were you're on this kick to do this, uh, set this world record. Uh, I, I said pick a movie. You said Hot Rod. I said ah, we've already done that, and you immediately said Emperor's New Groove. Why? Why this movie out of all of those out there? Because it's it's well for one. I already was scheduled to do Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the <laughs> so I knew I couldn't bring that one. Um, and I immediately went to this is like probably 
if you look at my, my top five movies, this is one of them. But I'm always I my top five movies don't really feature films people have seen a lot. Like I don't have like a Goodwill Hunting or a Titanic or an Avatar in my top five. I've got like Emperor's New Groove, Hot Rod, Ninja Turtles. Like that's what I've got. So that's why I honestly was just shooting my shot because I was like. I don't know if this film's too popular for this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I think it's perfect for this. So, so before we actually do- dig into the movie, what's your history with this? Did you see this one in theaters? Is it one you've come oh, yeah. to later on? What, what's your history uh, with it? Saw it in theaters. And then like when I was in college, you know, you just get bored and you watch old movies and some of them were stinkers. I remember loving Batman forever as a kid came back to that. Oh my God. God, it's bad. Uh, but then, <laughs> then there would be stuff like Secret of the Ooze or even like Good Burger and then I Emperor's New Groove. And I fell in love with it so much that I I can't believe I'm admitting this. I was running Spotlight for a play I was in. I'm, I was a theater major. Uh, I was running Spotlight. So that job was essentially you sit up in the rafters like the, like the Phantom of the Opera and I only had two moments where I had to actually run the spot. It's like a two hour show. (laughs) I've been there. I've been in a very similar situation. So I pulled out my phone and I was watching Emperor's New Groove up in the rafters. I had to cut it down so like, no, the audience can hear it. But I was just sitting in the back like, boom, baby. Yeah. (laughs) So. Oh, I don't even know where to begin. So you mentioned Hercules. This has a a very Hercules vibe to it in some places. And and one of the places that that really stood out to me is early in the movie when Cusco has been transformed into the llama and uh, Kronk is supposed to be getting rid of him. And he's wandering out and he's like in stealth mode and he's humming his own theme song. And I was like, wait a minute, Disney already did this joke. And they did. They did it on the animated series of Hercules that was based on the movie when they had Theseus show up. He was a very Batman-esque character who was doing his own internal monologue out loud. That's right. Oh, my God. That's so good. (laughs) And I figured there's probably not a lot of people who know that reference, but it was like, oh, my God, they're ripping themselves off. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. we, We sat down a couple of weeks ago and watched like the Timon and Pumbaa animated series. We watched the first episode of the Hercules animated series, which it's just, this is the problem with doing an animated series based off a movie is, you know, they put so much work into animating each cell to be perfect. But then would you have to do that every week for television? It just gets so much worse. So you go from like the glorious, beautiful colors of Hercules to just kind of like, weird muted tones and at one point hercules's face looks like a like bobby hill like it really does (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah so and and i mean felt like you know you have the same plot where the villain has tasked her henchman with taking care of the hero in hercules you know it's hades sending pain and panic to get rid of hercules and this it's to kill Cusco. they fail that comes back into play and it was like even that scene where she's asking kronk if if uh uh, Cusco's dead is he really dead i was like this has such a hercules vibe to it 
Yeah. I mean, the only the only thing I would say, at least Kronk, Kronk feels like a good character, whereas Pain and Panic seem like complete and total idiots. Like, they're, <laughs> they're still fully evil, but, like, Kronk... The, I, I guess it's the setup, and this is why I never made the connection, is Pain and Panic fail. Kronk chooses not to kill Kosko, and I guess that's the difference in my head. Well, that's an interesting take. I didn't really think about that. I thought of it as more like complacency, but I guess you're right. He does kind of make that choice to to not kill him because he saves him. He throws him in the, you know, the water bed is heading there towards the big waterfall and he chooses not to let him fall down there. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, Kronk is easily like the MVP of this movie. As much as I love David Spade's Cusco, Kronk every single line and this is once again another one of the the reasons I was like is this too popular it's because I feel like a lot of people nowadays that do like crave that nostalgia like the people who post gifs of Spongebob on Twitter and stuff like that I feel like this is one of the things people go back to a lot and I feel like it's because it did something different which is to make a to make us an evil sidekick not be a bad guy. Just someone who's like, I just really like her, so I'm just gonna stay with her and uh Oh no, no, I gotta kill someone. I've gotta have That's a really damn good Patrick Warburton. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know what it is, but every single sidekick from that era, they're my favorite impressions to do. I, I really like doing the voice of panic too. I just <laughs> it's just one of those things, man. It's whatever. Um yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, it's it's, it's Kronk. I thought I did a decent Bobcat Goldthwait, but that's much better than mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you think about the Emperor's New Groove, what are the first three things that come to mind? Kronk, just in general, Kronk. The opening, um, in, it just the entire opening is so beautiful because it it's it's a very irreverent Disney film as opposed to many like Mulan that has a very respected story and very respectful storytelling elements. This film immediately sets you up to know this ain't it. Cusco is going to be an unreliable narrator throughout the entire thing, <laughs> and he's just going to keep making jokes. In fact, it is inspired. One of uh, one of my novels, I imme- I stole that convention from. I immediately put that in one of my novels and had our the two main characters pop in whenever they needed to to kind of make fun of the book and make fun of the story. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so so Kronk the opening, and give me a third thing because I'm I'm Kronk. testing something here. Kronk the opening. And I think it's probably because I, I was writing something else and I stole from this scene. But I love the the diner scene where Kronk is trying to cook and Yzma and Cusco keep coming in and messing up the order. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the diner scene is one of my favorites. But you just proved a, a theory that I had, which is Pacha is almost completely unforgettable from this movie. You mean because even for, forgettable or unforgettable? Forgettable. Okay. You didn't list him in the things that you know, the first three things that come to mind, and it's supposed to be kind of his story that's at the heart of everything. And yet I, I like again, I watched this, you know, three, four years ago for the first time. And when I sat down today, I remember David Spade as Cusco, I remember Patrick Warburton as Kronk, and I remember yeah. the Eartha Kitts in it. Yeah. But oh, I totally forgot. It. I totally yeah. forgot John Goodman is in this movie. <laughs> 
It's because he's the only one who's normal. Because Yzma is like over-the-top evil villain. Kronk is just a massive hourglass of a man. And then Cusco, like, is a llama. So, like, he's the only normal thing. So your brain immediately takes takes him out of the equation. Right, right. Yeah, and, uh, well, and I also wonder, so how, how familiar are you with the history of this movie? Uh, slightly familiar. Not too much. Like, not a okay. lot. I know there was quite a bit behind it, though. Yeah, so this was originally supposed to be a completely different movie called Kingdom of the Sun, uh, and it was a take on Mark Twain's Prince and the Pauper. Yeah. And uh, so you had David Spade playing the role he has. The other character uh, was uh, voiced by Owen Wilson, oh, not wow. John Goodman. And this um, was early in the, the Owen Wilson career. Yeah. So that was a good yeah, role. Th- there's there's actually a documentary about this that was a condition of getting Sting to come on because this was supposed to be a full romance, uh, very typical Disney movie, and yeah. it was supposed to have eight songs written by Sting. And when Sting con- came on, one of his conditions was that his wife wanted to document what was going on. It ended up becoming a documentary called uh, The Sweatbox, and... It's owned by Disney, so it's never been officially released, but I found it on YouTube today. It's a really <laughs> interesting watch because one of the things they talk about with, with Pacha is that it went from being an 18-year-old to being a 45-year-old and having to oh, change yeah. the, the character design. Um, Yzma, Yzma had a sidekick character. You know, kind of Disney always wants those cute sidekick characters that they can market on. And it was voiced by Harvey Firestein. Uh, you had a love interest voiced by Laura Prepon. Uh, and they had done a ton of stuff with this movie and it just wasn't clicking. And so it got, you know, rehashed into what we've ended up with. The documentary is really fascinating. Again, I found it on YouTube, but it's not officially been released because Disney's not going to release a documentary that makes their movie look bad, I guess, or make their production look bad. But that's one of the the points I was trying to make when I listed all the writers at the very beginning is the reason there are so many writers is because this went through so many rewrites. Yeah. And Pacha is one of the things that changed. Oh, I'm sorry. I was actually looking up if Sting was still in the movie because the only the only performer I remember is Tom Jones from the opening yes. scene. Yeah, Sting has a song in the end credits that was nominated for an Oscar for best song that year, but that's it. They actually asked him if he wanted to do that opening song and he said that he was too old. They needed to find someone more hip and and you know with it. And so they got someone so 11 funny. years older than him. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I love that so much. But I almost wonder if the reason Pacha is so is such a not memorable part of the movie is because he was a character that was retooled, whereas Yzma and Cusco, th- those were characters that were there from the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, whoa. I think I just realized a reason I love this film. Okay. And it's the director of the film, Mark Dendal, also directed another one of my favorite kids animated films, and that's Cats Don't Dance. Yes, yes. I did not know that. That makes me so happy. I love Cats Don't Dance, dude. I have to admit, I haven't seen Cats Don't Dance. 
all right, we're changing the episode now. <laughs> don't dance, don't dance. No, 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 no. I will, I will uh, add it to my have not seen this list though, and try and fix that in the future though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. All right, so let me bring in a little bit of the critical responses here that came out when the movie came out. Our positive review does come from Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun Times, uh, and and his review is very similar in. in many of the elements that I kind of have thought about this film. And he writes, the emperor's new groove began life. I understand as quite a different kind of movie, a pretentious, ambitious Disney feature along the lines of Mulan or Pocahontas. Apparently that vein didn't yield gold. And some of the original footage was junked while other scenes were retracked. And the original musical score was largely shelved. I don't know what the earlier version would have been like, but this version is a zany tonic, more upbeat and funnier than the lugubrious Dr. Seuss's how the Grinch stole Christmas. The movie doesn't have the technical polish of a film like Tarzan, but is a reminder that the classic cartoon look is a beloved style of its own. When the Looney Tunes trademark came on the screen at the kitty matinee of long ago, the kitties would cheer in unison because they knew they were going to have unmitigated fun. The Emperor's New Groove evokes the same kind of spirit. God, I, I man, he, why do you have to dunk so hard on Grinch in the middle of that? He because he like came a, out the same week. That's why he brought that one up. Oh, okay, okay. For a minute, <laughs> I was like, does this guy just have like a vengeance plot against Jim Carrey for some reason? No, I should have, I should have thrown that in for context. They came out the same week, and uh, Grinch was doing better at the box office than this one was. Well, yeah, like it was a holiday season, so a holiday right. film would sell. Yeah. Yeah, but the Looney Tunes comment that he adds in, that was my first response when I saw this a couple of years ago, was this is somebody got Looney Tunes in my Disney cartoon. Yeah. Oh, it's a lot more goofy. It's I'd say more like Muppets as well, like very irreverent, very turning the cliches that you know of the genre and going against them so like a film like you said the original plan oh this is a disney film it's got to have a love interest no the only like ro- relationship we're going to explore is like bros like how how a bro ship is formed essentially between pacha and Cusco. that's oh, a good point I, I don't know why this wasn't one of my three things and it does involve pacha but the scene where they walk up the mountain like, <laughs> that's probably like my i remember being a kid and having friends and just like we gotta see if we can pull this off back to back let's go let's walk <laughs> up this wall well and i was i was again i i pulled the reviews after i rewatched the movie but i had made in my notes comments about looney tunes because i knew that was my mindset before and i was like well why did i think that and you know that that early uh during the plotting scene you know where they go into the secret lab suddenly that that whole riding the coaster down there and being in the outfits and the music that's playing felt very looney tunes the 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 running away later and the squirrel has a balloon just pulls a balloon out of nowhere to wake up the jaguars like why yeah. does the squirrel have a that's a looney tunes type thing uh, oh, you no, know the, that the llama a, dressed up as a woman for the diner scene that's a looney tunes thing <laughs> yeah oh but by the by the way that does remind me of my favorite going back to disney animated versions of movies um my favorite bit about that reaching behind your back and pulling something out has to have happened in i think it's the finale of the timon and pumbaa series because mm-hmm. the the entire plot of it is that they're falling off a mountain 
to their imminent deaths and they're reliving their lives. So it's basically like a clip episode. So, but I, I we're almost positive that none of these clips were from the actual show. So they just made up a clip <laughs> show. And at the end of it, Timon goes like does something and reaches behind his back and pulls out something. And he goes, we could just do that thing that they do where they just reach behind their back and pull out like a trampoline or something. And so then that is the entire rest of the episode is them reaching behind their backs and pulling stuff out from behind it until they could find something worthwhile. <laughs> um so the negative review just to pull that in as well is from mark savlov of the austin chronicle and he writes emperor suffers from a persistent case of narrative backsliding that only serves to make older members of the audience long for the days of the dwarves beauties and poisoned apples of disney yore and younger ones squirm in their seats the few kids who managed to drag mom and dad out on this of all nights were tellingly peopless throughout Emperor's animation is also a minor letdown with none of the ecstatic visual tour de force, say, of Tarzan and all the bad, nearly neon color palettes of an out-of-control hype Williams video. It's all enough to make you wonder what, if anything, this new direction of Disney signifies, and for the kids, a minor night out at best. I don't know what it was about, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, but, like, critics were a little too extra they weren't just like (laughs) they were like i need to write the next great american novel and not just tell you my favorite and i'm stealing this from another podcast but my favorite bad reviews were of the first pokemon film uh Uh one of them reads the story is a humorless retread of a bond style world domination yarn with a frankenstein theme Hey, Wally Hammond, that's too much to say for just Mewtwo. That's a lot to say about Mewtwo. And then Roger Ebert was just like, there are times when I feel like I'm in over my head. This is one of the times. I did research on Pokemon. I played the card game with a six-year-old Pokemon trainer named Emil. The rules seemed similar to war. At the end, Emil had all 52 cards. If you know anything about Pokemon, that (laughs) means that Roger Ebert just got scammed. Because that is not (laughs) how you play Pokemon. Does does anybody actually know how to play Pokemon? Because everybody I've ever known who got into the cards just just liked the cards. I mean, even my own son loves the cards and is like, ooh, this is a really rare card or this is a valuable card, but he doesn't know how to play. <laughs> I think it's close to Magic the Gathering from everything that I've read. I yeah, I was one of those people that was like, I'm going to collect all, collect them all, but like, I am not going to learn how to play this, which is ironic, because then I learned how to play Yu-Gi-Oh!, which has to be ten times more complex of a card <laughs> game than Pokemon, but I was like, I don't care! Blue Eyes White Dragon! <laughs> well, hello, my friends. This is CK from the Mirths and Monsters podcast. Join me, my companion Finn, and my occasionally satanically possessed cat Ray as we investigate the real truths behind some of the most wonderful creatures you can imagine. Are trolls really that thick? Or is it just bad press? Are leprechauns really drunken bums? Sort of. But there's a lot more to find out. All you need to do is tune in to Mirths and Monsters podcast with me and Finn. Till next time, slancha. 
their good health. All right, let me get us back on track. <laughs> All right, cat, cats don't dance. Let's talk it. Cats don't <laughs> dance. Scott Bakula, it's great. Oh my God. See, now I've got to see it because I love Scott Bakula. But no, we're talking Emperor's New Groove. Damn, and okay. uh, uh, <laughs> Mark Savlov made a comment about the animation being kind of a letdown. And I did kind of write that in my notes that I felt like the animation lacked the sophistication you're used to from a Disney movie until they got outdoors and then oh, like yeah. when he's when he suddenly gets to um pacha's uh village or or his hut whatever you want to refer to that section as suddenly the animation definitely elevates from where it was so i think it's just a matter of that act one being in the palace the the style they use just feels less sophisticated yeah, well, I think it was supposed to seem like garish and overbearing and super bright because that's what Cusco wanted around him was nothing but that. Oh, man, that opening scene where he's going through his potential brides, by the way. Best part of the film. Yikes, <laughs> yikes, yikes. Let me guess. You have a great personality. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> that's so wrong. And from from the start, because, you know, I'm I go back with David Spade to, you know, SNL and Tommy Boy and, and all that. So the movie opens and David Spade's the first person to talk. And I'm like, boy, this does not feel like a good fit for David Spade to be in a Disney animated film. But he makes it work. Yeah, he plays David Spade. So, of course, he's nailing it. Like, it's very, very good. <laughs> and it's it's very good because... There are some, like, like, old Patrick Warburton. Doesn't matter what role he's in. At the end of the day, you look and you go, that's Patrick Warburton. Halfway through the film, I forget it's David Spade. I'm like, that's Cusco. I don't know what you're talking about. That is Cusco. Oh, yeah. And I, and I kind of feel that way with all of the characters, um, except for uh, Pacha's wife, who is voiced by Wendy Malick, which I find interesting mm-hmm. because Wendy Malick and David Spade were in Just Shoot Me Together. Um, but it took me too long to figure out who that voice was that it, then it wasn't just, you know, losing myself and her. Like when, when Pacha appears, it's like, Oh, that's John Goodman. And then it just becomes Pacha. It's kind of like, you know, buzz and Woody, you know, we, oh, yeah. you, oh that's Tom Hanks. No, now it's Woody. Oh, that's Tim Allen. No, now it's buzz. And, and I get that. It kind of is the same way with almost every character here, except for Wendy Malick is just, it took me too long to figure out who she was. That's my fault. That's not the movie's fault. <laughs> yeah. So you got obsessed with it too much. I think it's probably, and it's gotta be partially because none of them look any other than I'd say Kronk. Kronk has a Warburton aesthetic to him, but outside of that, like none of them, at all remind you physically of the actor portraying them so it like it fits perfectly oh i i think kuzco totally has a david spade physicality to him oh as, yeah as far as like physical i i think they filmed him i think they filmed him and was you were using his facial movements in the animation to make sure it kind of like if he had, did like a smarmy eyebrow raise they're like oh we got to put that in there David Spade doing a smarmy eyebrow raise? No, that would never happen. (laughs) And I do love, like, how quickly they set up, hey, we know this is the main character of the film. He's the worst human being on the planet. Let me step this in. He's so bad. And that's the entire opening. Like, even the scene with Yzma, you're 
we know Yzma's the bad guy because we've seen trailers and whatnot, but like, and also because she's an evil witch woman with purple all around her, but it's a sad scene for her. It is her being like, okay, I'm going to be the prince and I'm going to take care of his stuff for a few hours. Then he comes in as a media like, uh, yeah, you're fired. You're gone. I'm letting you go. <laughs> well, and, and that's interesting because in the middle of, you know, I, I made the comment about the animation not being as sophisticated, but in the middle of that, I do write down that Yzma's design is really actually quite impressive, especially when it does that close up when he's looking at her wrinkles. That, that That's actually a really interesting and and well-developed visual style for the character. There's no doubting that she's the villain from the moment that she appears on screen. That was probably the hardest I laughed when I was a kid at this movie, by the way. It's the Moni's going like, God, she's nothing but rent. What the? When did that get in there? And he's like broccoli in her teeth. <laughs> um, but the, the other thing, you, you made the comment about uh, uh, Cusco being such a, a terrible human being. And that's actually that comes up in the sweat box uh, after they've had their test screening of the film, talking about that's something they have to fix, is that they know that their main character is a terrible person and that that he's got to be redeemed in some way. And they didn't feel like they had it uh, with that test screening. You know, how do they fix that aspect of it? Do you feel like they earn Cusco's redemption in this movie? I, I, and I, I think it's just because of the animation. Cause like he gets brighter, not physically, but like his presence gets brighter. He gets happier. So we as an audience can feel he's redeemed. But like, if you just read it, I don't know. I don't know if it would. Cause he <laughs> yeah, does I don't... almost kill Pacha. Yeah. I don't feel like he actually transforms. I think the story wants us to think that he has, but I don't feel like he legitimately has become a better person over the course of their adventure. I think, I think he's become a better person to Pacha. I don't know about a better person overall because they never explain if there's someone on that other hill next to Pacha's. Cause the whole story is like, Hey, instead of taking your house, I'm going to move to this other hill. There's probably still a house there that Cusco had to get <laughs> torn down. I would assume that it was vacant and that because if it was occupied, then Pacha is also a terrible person. Oh, yeah, you moved off my hill. You can take that guy's over there. He won't mind. Yeah, exactly. Th that ending is actually another really interesting thing to come out of the sweatbox is um, originally he builds his, what did he call it, Kustopia? Yeah, Kustopia. He builds that on the next hill over and Sting wrote the producers and said, if he builds that, then he really hasn't learned a thing. And so what you see in the movie is a small version of it that isn't so ornate, that isn't so elaborate, and that he's sharing with his friends. Yeah, it, it, I, I think that's one part of it that makes it seem like he's probably better. Maybe. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I literally had to look up the plot because I was like, because you asked like, hey, did he earn a redemption? And I was going through my mental map of this film going, what did he do? That was a redeeming thing throughout right. his entire film. Right. So I, I want to talk about two more aspects before we run out of time. Um, okay. One, the, the, cause something you referenced earlier, the film is very self-aware 
And yeah. that's where a lot of its laughs come from, particularly later in the film. Like when they finally get to the secret lab, which every character knows about the secret lab. Oh, yeah. When they get to the secret lab and Yzma and Kronk are there. And they say, how on earth did they get us here? And Kronk pulls out the map and goes, uh, I have no idea. It doesn't seem logical by any means. <laughs> by all accounts, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, That's that's the line, yes. And I don't even have yeah. to pull it from the movie because you just did it. Yeah, I mean, it's completely <laughs> self-aware. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Like when, when, uh, when he... Kronk kind of saves the day at the very end and he opens that trap door to, to, and it, that ends up smashing Yzma and he goes, what are the odds that this trap door leading me here? You know, it's like, it's yeah. so self-aware that it doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, but in a good, I think in a good way, like I said before, before, like it's a buck wild film and that's why I love it. My favorite films are the ones that like, it's, they can be described with that Kronk quote. Uh, by all accounts, it just doesn't make sense. Like, just lay out the whole plot. Um, oh, by the way, like, if you want to talk about iconic lines from a Disney film, the pull the lever, Kronk, wrong lever, yes. was like, yes, that's it. That is the line from this movie. And they have the nice callback later on when when Cusco and Pacha get to the secret lab where... You don't even see the gag. You just see Cusco coming back in with an alligator going, why does she even have that other lever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. Which they, which they had set up earlier in the film. That's a good gag that you can set it up, you know, an hour earlier and have it pay off a second time an hour later like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that and the diner sequence, which you mentioned earlier, like that is it's very Looney Tunes with them coming and going through the doors and just barely missing each other. And then the same thing with the menus later on, raising them and lowering them. Uh, it, it's very Looney Tunes as opposed to Disney, but boy, does it work. And the, the comedic timing the animators had to put into that scene is just brilliant. Oh yeah. With, without a doubt. Like, like you said, I don't think they wanted to do something that looked quote unquote beautiful, like a Mulan. They wanted the animation to fit the style of film they were doing. And they were doing a very goofy film. So they didn't, uh, other than, like you said, the scenes where like you, you see, uh, uh, Pacha's house and stuff like that, like that, that, I think that warrants it because Pacha is the down to earth family man. And so that's not a goofy moment. So we need to show the beauty of his home naturally and that as an audience makes us root actively against Cusco building Cusco Topia there. It is enough for us to go, this is beautiful. Why would anyone want to ruin it? Right. Right. Yeah. I, that's a good point. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, it it's, uh, it's not my favorite Disney film. I, I feel like there are inconsistencies with it. Um, this is only my second time watching it. And it is from an era where I kind of jumped ship on Disney for a couple of years. Like there's one from that era that I still have never seen, but it's fun. I mean, there, yeah. there's definitely a, a, a enjoyment in watching it. It still makes me laugh in places. It, it's not up on a pedestal the way that Lion King or Aladdin or Cinderella would be, but yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. Like, a Disney movie needs to have, like, for me, needs to be very, very fun in addition to having all of those good emotional Disney beats, or I'll never want to watch it again. I loved Inside Out, but I saw it, cried, and said, that's enough for me. Watch Coco. <laughs> I, Coco probably is the worst one for me, because for me, 
Coco made me start crying. I can't remember what point because I I've blocked it mentally. But Coco, I was like, I remember I started crying here and I didn't stop until the credits rolled. Even yep. the goofy moments where the film is supposed to be like, okay, everything's fine. Stop crying. I was like, no, you can't. You can't make me stop right now. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I get that. I mean, D- Disney films are known for that an emotional connection. I was on another podcast talking about Pixar films, and and we talked about how Pixar has that ability to tap into cultural collective experience. We all pretended our toys were alive when we weren't in the room. You know, we yeah. all know these feelings that they experienced throughout a lot of the the Pixar movies. And maybe sometimes you don't need that emotional connection. You just need to laugh. Yeah. I mean, like stuff like, because they're so emotionally connecting that it becomes a arduous process to go through them again. You got to literally sit down and be like, should I? I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive it right now. But like th- like this, Princess and the Frog is another one. Princess and the Frog, yeah, it's got its serious moments, but that movie's just so fun that I can't, that I can easily watch it again. Yeah, I love Princess and the Frog. And it, that was, and that was their return to traditional hand-drawn animation after they took a break and were just doing, you know, 3D things like Chicken Little. And I, I loved it. I loved it for the return to their traditional storytelling, and I just love it as a, as a film as well. Yeah. Um, oh, also Tangled. I, actually, I do want to know, what would your top three Disney movies be then, if, if this ain't it? Uh, for me, um, oh boy, I, I would have to go with, you know, I, I mean, I hate to go with the most commercial successes, but they're also the ones that I love the best, which I, I would have to go with, like, Lion King, um, Aladdin and well, no, I probably would put Hercules above Aladdin. So we'll say Lion King, Hercules and the sword in the stone for something a little more classic, because I've always been an Arthurian legend person. And I just love that take on it, which again, with the transformations of the different animals in this sequence, you know, in the, the, the climactic sequence here, you almost have that touch of sword in the stone. Oh yeah. 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 And then getting turned into a cat last minute, very Looney Tunes, very goofy. I think for me, my top three would probably Emperor's New Groove, number one. Um, Big Hero 6, number two. Oh, God, I forgot about that one. And number three, a goofy movie, which will actually, that is probably the only one I will rewatch that will absolutely make me cry. That I have not seen goofy movie yet. And another podcast I like covered it recently and was like, I was like, ah, I got to see that one. It emotionally destroys me. But like, like I said, with Coco, there was the moment where I'm supposed to stop crying and I didn't. Goofy movie has the ultimate stop crying, which is the Powerline concert at the end. And that's the moment I'm like, what? Powerline's playing? Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's okay. We can go to the concert. It's okay. <laughs> but Big Hero 6 is definitely emotionally connective in there. I'm surprised to hear you rank that one alongside this one. Because um, it doesn't, it just takes one screenshot of them on the other side of the wormhole and his comment about, I can't shut down until uh, you're oh, satisfied with your treatment. And it's like, oh God, I'm in tears. I feel like it's because I've seen it. And so I know, oh, he's got a chip. 
he can come back it's okay like because like i firstly goofy movie hits me because like i've always had like a strong relationship with my dad so goofy and max that hits me i never had a brother so like tadashi dying i'm like that sucks but whatever (laughs) let's go on Oh, I that still kills me though. I've I've not had a bro- brother either, but it still absolutely kills me. All right, two lines I want to talk about before we move into the end credits here. Isma says early on why I practically raised him. Yeah. To which Patrick Warburton's response was, "Yeah, you you would have think you would have turned out better." <laughs> <laughs> God, that's good. I love him so because he's such a perfect dumb idiot. Like yes. he's so good. Yeah, and then the the line that I actually knew about from this movie before I knew this movie, one of my coworkers used to say to me during a rough week, she'd come up to me and go, "Um, I've been turned into a cow. Can I go home?" <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Dismiss. Yes, you can. Okay. Anyone else? No, no, we're all good. We're good. <laughs> All right, let's move into the uh, end credits here. A couple of quick little games to include. Uh, first up, the algorithm says this is a list of various movies the algorithms out there say you will like because you liked The Emperor's New Groove. So this is kind of a lightning round of your responses to these titles, uh, what you think about them, whether you like them, whether you don't, that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. And normally I try to pull out like if this had been a movie in a series like a Harry Potter, I would have pulled out all the other Harry Potters. So this being a Disney movie, I would have loved to have pulled out all the other Disney movies, but then there would have been no list. Yeah. <laughs> they're all pretty much, except for one, they're all Disney movies. So, uh, so this is your chance to, to go on about other Disney movies real quick. Not that we haven't already done that. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Lilo and Stitch. Uh, very, very good. Haven't seen it in a long time though. Okay. Tarzan. I haven't seen it. You've never seen Tarzan? I've never seen Tarzan. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. Okay. All right. Hercules. Yes. Best music of any Disney film ever. And I will put (laughs) that in writing. (laughs) Yeah, I I do love Hercules. I know it didn't do well at the box office uh, comparatively to a lot of the other Disney movies. Again, it was part of that downward trend, but I loved, and again, self-aware, you know, the jokes about wearing his merchandise and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Mulan. Um, God, it's good. And and the the thing about Mulan, I don't, I'm sure there are moments people would call emotional. It's just a badass film. It is just a badass film of like street justice. I love it. (laughs) All right. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, never seen it. Seems very heavy. So I don't think I would be into it. It is. It is very dark. It is not a bad movie, but it is not a good children's movie. It should not have been released that way. The only thing I know about Hunchback of Notre Dame, what's the name of the villain? The priest guy? Frollo, I think. All all I know about the film is there's a comedian. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I wish I could. But he does a bit, and he's talking about the fact that when I was a kid in my McDonald's, I received this horrible psychotic priest that burns people and tries to sexually assault a woman and this is what (laughs) they decided to give me as a toy as a child to play with that's right as i said i mean it's not a bad movie but it is not a good children's movie for the reasons you listed i mean he he has a song about it for god's sake (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Atlantis, the Lost Empire. I've not seen it. Okay. Uh, it was came out the year after this one and was really their first foray into let's not have any songs. So Yeah, let's do like, because I, I, I do remember watching Treasure Planet, which is very Atlantis adjacent in my head. Yeah. Interesting note, not that it'll be interesting to you, but maybe to my listeners, Atlantis the Lost Empire was the first movie review I ever wrote for somebody not my own website. So Ooh. Yeah. All right. Bugs Life. Uh it's yeah, whatever. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always say it's kind of the forgotten Pixar film specifically for that reason. So Yeah. Okay. The rescuer is down under. I have not seen it. Okay. I really, I really need to, though. I don't know that you necessarily need to, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Brother Bear. Oh, man, that one sounds like I shouldn't, and I don't care to watch it. I think I did once, and I don't remember it at all. I have never seen that one. That's the one from this era that I've not seen yet. And it is on Disney+, Plus, so I just need to sit down and watch it, but, you know, haven't yet. Uh, and then finally, our non-Disney pick, uh, Chicken Run. Oh man, it's another one of those just like yeah, it exists. The the <laughs> most I have for Chicken Run is my my grandfather never he hated going to see movies because he thought it was too loud. The only one I ever took him to was Chicken Run, and he hated it with a burning passion of a thousand hot suns. So anytime I joke with him about taking him to the movies, he goes, "As long as it ain't that damn chicken movie, I swear <laughs> to God." <laughs> <laughs> Your grandfather wasn't into Mel Gibson playing a rooster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. And then one that didn't make the algorithm much to my surprise. So I wanted to ask you about anyway, but this didn't show up on any of the algorithms I looked at, but came out in a similar time period. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on the road to El Dorado? It, oh my, firstly, yes, it seems very much in the same vein. I've yet to see it, but everything I've oh. seen about it, I've yet to see it, but everything I see about it lets me know I would love this film. I just haven't watched it yet. I It will boot uh, The Emperor's New Groove off of your list. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I think so. Because with me, it's like, uh, and this is uh, the only time these two movies will ever be compared, but it's like John Wick. I look at it and I'm like, I know I'd love this. I just, I can't find John Wick streaming anywhere, and I've yet to find Road to El Dorado, but I haven't been looking that hard. Yeah, it's, it's, I really love Road to El Dorado. I did see that one in the theater back in this, in the, in that, this time period. So, yeah. All right. Finally, we always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie you selected. Uh, (laughs) good luck. (laughs) You ready? Yes, let's go. All right. Number one, Yzma is considered one of Disney's funniest villains alongside quite a few other antagonists. Which of the following was not considered one of Disney's funniest adversaries? A, Hades from Hercules, B, Captain Hook from Peter Pan, C, Prince John from Robin Hood, or D, Scar from The Lion King? Scar. Scar is not funny at all. Yep, Scar is not funny at all. (laughs) Uh, Number two, a lot of casting changes took place over the course of production. While Eartha Kitt maintained the role of Yzma throughout production, she wasn't the original choice for the role. Who was? A, Julie Newmar, B, Lee Merriweather, C, Michelle Pfeiffer, or D, Barbara Streisand? I think it was Julie Newmar. No, I threw three Catwoman actresses in there hoping it would lead you to the right one. It was Barbara Streisand was the original choice for the role. 
and then that was they who they like, wanted. Oh wait, for some reason I got uh, Cher and Barbara Streisand mixed up. I was like, well, when she didn't do this, <laughs> they decided to put her entangled. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three. A legacy Disney actor provides the voice for the old man who gets thrown out the window and later warns Pacha, beware the groove. The actor's name is John Fiedler, and he is best known for providing the voice of what Disney character? A, Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. B, Pongo from 101 Dalmatians. C, Beaver from Lady and the Tramp. Or D, a random elephant from the Jungle Book. Well... I I doubt he would become an iconic actor if he portrayed random elephant number <laughs> five. Um, ah, is he Piglet? He is Piglet, yes. Yes! Interesting side note, I once saw him at a sci-fi convention because he also played a s- serial killer in an episode of classic Star Trek. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but best known for Piglet. <laughs> All right. And then the last one, producer Randy Fulmer and director Mark Dindle have voiced their dislike for one of the film's jokes that also serves as a cinematic reference. Which one? A, the shot of the monkey eating a bug, which references Citizen Kane. B, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, which references Wizard of Oz. C, the shadows on the wall during the final chase, which references Sorcerer's Apprentice. Or D, all the cat references around Yzma, which references Batman. I think they would have loved the cat references. Like, I think they would have put that one in. I think I've heard something about them hating that monkey, though. No, it's the ah. lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, that, that they was really... that was choice number two. That was my <laughs> second choice was lions because because the other three are jokes I remember or moments I remember. I don't even remember the lions, tigers, and bears moment. It's when they're looking for the different elixirs to transform into different animals, and they have lions next to tigers, next to bears, and then an empty slot where before they can say anything, Isma goes, "Oh my!" Oh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do they hate that? I guess just because it's dumb. I th- I think they felt forced into using it and therefore have disdain for it. But yeah, they've gone on the record saying they hate that joke. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, man, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? The floor is yours and you've got a long list. <laughs> uh, oh, God. If you want to find me and let me on your podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Scotty Mo S-C-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O. The DMs are open. Just slide on in and invite me on your show. I can talk about basically anything. Movies, whiskey, RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you need, I can talk about it. And if you want to keep listening to my voice, you can find all of my podcasts from A Load of BS, which is my improv podcast, to JWF Monday Night Ignition, which is the world's only professional wrestling audio drama. Just imagine pro wrestling, but without the visuals. You can find all of that at www.aloadofpurebs.com. (laughs) <laughs> can't even imagine an audio drama wrestling thing <laughs> all right man thank you so much for coming on and talking emperor's new groove we'll have you back on to talk about uh cats or whatever <laughs> no not don't make me talk about cats anything but cats <laughs> no i meant your your cat movie which i suddenly can't remember the name of uh cats, um... cats don't dance how yes, dare we'll have you, you... <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a bunch. No problem. Have a good one. 
So that does it for this week. If you are a fellow podcaster or you help manage a podcast or you have podcasts where you have their ear, I do recommend Scotty as a guest. He was fantastic. I laughed a lot, as you heard, and we had a great time talking about the Emperor's New Groove, and I'd like to see him meet his goal for this world record of podcast appearances. So help him out. Give him a shout. Uh, let me know. I'll put you in touch with him. Whatever. Uh, so that does it for The Emperor's New Groove, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media, share your thoughts about the movie, or tell me a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook where I Have Not Seen This podcast, or email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode, which takes us into the territory of my other podcast, Azeroth as we watch the dark portal open and chaos ensue. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love, and I would really appreciate it if you could do that. Listenership is down, of course, and I would love to know that I still have people listening to this thing. It would help keep me motivated to continue doing it. As always, if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Scotty Moore for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. <laughs>